0: Our gospel lesson from Mark chapter 1 will serve as the basis for our sermon today. When you think of the wilderness, what comes to mind? What do you think of? Throw some words out there. Trees, okay. Bugs. (laughs) What else? Emptiness, okay. That's good. Um, I don't know why for some reason my mind always goes to the desert. right? I always think of a desert with very little out there, you know, and uh, uh, some of the animals that live out in the desert are are mainly the insects and whatnot. That's kind of where my mind goes uh, into. But, you know, um, think about the wilderness in this way. Think of it as being a place that's uncultivated. Think of it as being a place that's honestly inhospitable, Right? And it could be the desert, it could be out there in, you know, O'Cala National Forest or wherever else you may go, okay, that's the wilderness. It could be a place that's devoid of rain uh or shelter, but it could also be a, a place that's just full of things that are, well, contrary to us. <laughs> Let's put it that way, dangerous places as well, right? Um, and I, I want you to think about um that in relation to um temptation because how many of you would think of the wilderness as being a place that be full of temptation probably not right probably not but think of it this way if temptation is enticing and, alluring and it alluring and it presents itself as something that appears to make our lives better and more fulfilling right but then you know where the first temptation got us so that's what i want to consider you with this morning is this relationship between temptation and the wilderness because believe it or not, um, you're going to see just how much of a wilderness we live in in our daily lives and what that looks like in relation to temptation. I remember going through a survival course when, years ago when I was in the military. I was out in uh, Warner Springs out in the mountains. Uh, think of MASH. If you've ever watched MASH and you see the backdrop, that's where, where it was filmed. It was out in Warner Springs. And I was in a survival school. And we were driven from our base out and dropped off out there in the, in the wilderness, and for a couple of weeks. And we're told to navigate off the land, and we had to remember our training and remember, the, you know, how to trap animals and the things that we can eat and survive and all that jazz. Anyways, well, I got separated from my special operations partner, and we, you know, ended up in our separate ways. Got separated in the darkness one night. Well, the next morning, I'm starving, and I haven't eaten in a few days. And I come across some thicket and I end up in this smorgasbord of cactus, right? I mean, it was just looked so tempting. Suckling green, you know, and uh, with these, what they call pears, it's the fruit of the cactus in the center. And I was like starving. And at this point, i am I'm just hallucinating. And these things look, you know, like I'm sitting here in the middle of a buffet on Sunday morning. And so I dive right in and I go after it. The only problem was, These cactus weren't the edible kind. And I was so hungry, and this was too tempting that I forgot to look at the color of the fruit on on the cactus. Dove right in and two hours later got sick. Ended up becoming dehydrated and delusional for the rest of my time out there in the wilderness. I did learn, though, that you can be very tempted out in the wilderness. Now, it wasn't the same temptations that Jesus faced, it wasn't the same wilderness experience that Jesus had. Uh, but yeah, you can certainly come across temptations even out in the wilderness. So imagine going from your baptism in the Jordan River to immediately being driven into the wilderness. If you've ever sat in on Dr. Schaefer's uh, Sunday morning classes, right? Recently, he showed a picture, a slide of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan. Right? It shows us from the angle of the embankment where it's all nice and lush and looks great and everything. And his next slide that he shows was directly behind, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but directly behind on the other embankment of, of the Jordan River. And it was barren. It's the wilderness. So if you have that kind of image of what's on both sides of this Jordan River, you know then that Jesus didn't have very far to get driven into the wilderness. Didn't take that long to happen, okay? Okay. But I want you to look at something else. What's more amazing is, what drove Jesus? Who drove Jesus into the wilderness? The irony of it all is it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And of course, in Mark, everything happens immediately. We don't get a whole lot of details in Mark like we get in, in Matthew and Luke, but everything has a great sense of urgency here, right? So imagine here's Jesus, and he comes up out of the water and his baptism, and immediately the heavens are torn open, and God's voice speaks down out of the heavens. You know, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, right? But there wasn't much, you know, time for, for accolades or adoration, was it? Because immediately, what happens after that? Jesus is thrown right out into the wilderness. 40 days out in the wilderness, 40 days out with the wildlife. Forty days getting tempted by Satan. And he doesn't immediately return from the wilderness, does he? Forty days. days—it's a lot of time out there. Now, he's out there and he gets driven in there and he's compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness. And what's the first thing he does? He encounters Satan. The old ancient foe. It's important to look at this encounter With Satan and the subsequent tempting by Satan of Jesus in light of Jesus' mission. Because Jesus' work is contrary to that of Satan's work, isn't it? It's a work that seeks to plunder Satan's house. If you go a couple of chapters into Mark later, chapter, uh, Mark three, Jesus says, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. and Then he may plunder his house. Think about what is happening here in Mark. Jesus is baptized, immediately driven into the wilderness, And the repeatedly use of immediately throughout the Gospel of Mark shows the urgency of Jesus' mission. We know in the other Gospels that Jesus started His ministry a little bit different time period than what Mark starts it at, right? But here, Mark just jumps straight into the confrontation with Satan. Look to our own baptisms. What happens in our baptisms? We're made whole and presented holy and blameless before God We're given the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in our earthly journeys. But where is our life spent living? Not in paradise. You and I live in the wilderness, my friends. In our baptisms, yeah, we're brought out of that spiritual wilderness right? by Jesus. We're we're cleansed of that, that first sin and we're presented holy and blameless to God. Right? But we live, we continue to live with one foot in this world and one foot in God's world, which means our daily earthly lives are in the wilderness. Oh, it may not look like we're living out there amongst the bears or the hyenas or tumbleweed and other things like that, right? But we live in towns and we live in cities and workplaces and schools, shopping malls. And every bit of that is full of temptation. Every bit of our daily lives, we're seeking shelter. We're seeking help and we're facing temptations. Because what else is the desert, right? The desert is a place that is not only deci- sometimes empty and full of these other things, it's a place where, oh, desperate gambling happens, where desperation occurs. And that's our lives too. Many people are desperate in lives, desperate to cling to hold to something that they think is going to bring them fulfillment or give them happiness. What else is important to remember here is that God's not the one who's tempting us with all this. Oh, It may look like it because the, inner, the Holy Spirit entered into Jesus and He went out immediately into the desert. But God's not the one who's doing this. Now, God allows us to be tested, but He doesn't tempt. That is strictly the work of the devil. And this is what happens with Jesus. This is what happens with you and I in our daily lives. Full of inhospitable things and conditions and dare I say, Satan. Alive and well. So what exactly is going on out in the wilderness? What's going on out there with Jesus? Because Mark tells us very little. We don't get the accounts that Matthew and Luke does in Mark, do we? We don't see the faithfulness of Jesus out there resisting the temptation in Mark. Now, All we know is what Mark tells us. He immediately goes in the desert, 40 days out there. He's tempted by Jesus. Oh, what else? Um, Oh, that's right. He's with the wild animals and he's being ministered by, you know, by angels. And the next thing we know after John, you know, is captured, then Jesus goes into Galilee. Those are the only details we get from Mark. Amazing how concise his account is compared to the other accounts. We don't even know according to Mark how Jesus fared in the temptations, do we? We know, of course, how He fared. We know that He was successful and that He went on and started spreading the Gospel around telling people to repent and believe in the Gospel. Of course we know that. What else we can surmise from Mark's account is that Jesus' missions were spent in dangerous places. Think about that. Think about all the places that He went and drove out demons out of people. Think about all the places that He spent getting threatened by people wanting to stone Him. That's what Jesus spent. But you know what? Even in the wilderness, even for Jesus, there was shelter. There was refuge. There was rain. The rain of God. You know, whether or not we want to admit it or not, we're all susceptible to temptation. Like with most everything, you have two streams of extremes of people who deal with temptation. And then, of course, you have everything in between, right? On the one hand, the one extreme, you have those who go to great lengths to avoid temptation at all costs. And then on the other hand, you have those people who will try to justify temptation. Why they should cave into it. Reminds me of a childhood story I once heard growing up about a, a frog and a toad. It goes like this. Here's a condensed version. Frog one day bakes a bunch of cookies, right? Tastes one of them. They were so good that he calls his friend the toad and invites them over to share in the cookies with him. Toad comes over. They're eating all these cookies. And eventually the frog says, you know what? We're going to have to stop eating these cookies or we're going to get sick. Toad's like, yep, just one more. And then we'll put them away. So they share one more. They get done with that. The toad says, "Oh wait, you know, just one more. We can quit after the next one." Well, this went on several iterations. Finally, the Frog said, "Enough is enough. What we need is willpower." The toad says, "What's willpower?" The frog says, "Watch." Puts all the bo- uh, the cookies in a box and sets them up on a shelf. And the frog and the toad says, "Well, that's easy. We can just we can reach up and pull that box down and open the box and get the cookies." The frog says, "No problem." Ties a string around the box. Gets up on a stepladder and sticks it up on top of the refrigerator. Toad says, well, we can get the ladder out and get up there, get the box down, cut the string and eat all the cookies. Frog says, fine, you know what? i got an end to this. He takes the box, goes outside, cuts the string, opens the box, dumps them out on the ground, calls for the birds. Birds eat all of his cookies. Toad says, man, we don't even have one cookie left to eat now. Not even one. Frog says, yep, but we got a lot of willpower. Toad says, you can keep your willpower. I'm going to go home and bake cake. Here's the thing. That's how some people treat it, right? You will always find an excuse of why you can cave in to temptations. So let me ask you this. What are the temptations that you and I are facing today? What are the ones that we're greatly struggling with that we need shelter and refuge from? How are we dealing with them? You know, there is nowhere in our lives that we can go and face temptations uh, and not face temptations apart from God. Our refuge is in God. God doesn't tempt, but He is our refuge. He is our help. He is our help in dealing with these things. We dwell in a wilderness full of temptations and dangerous things. As I said in our baptisms, we're made whole again by Christ. And as we're cleansed from that original sin brought on by the original temptation, we're brought from the wilderness into the shelter of eternal protection of God. And we we're also filled with the Holy Spirit to help us in this earthly journey. To help find our shelter in the refuge at his table and in his word to help us get through this life and to not cave in to help us when we're being tempted and being tested. We find the shelter from the wilderness in God, in God alone, and in nothing else. God is our protection. Satan would seek to tempt us with other things. Yes, our lives too are filled with danger. We're called to spread the Gospel sometimes in dangerous places. And it's tempted to to turn around and go the opposite direction from where the Holy Spirit is leading us. But think of other people out there that need that protection that you and I enjoy. As we go about doing God's work in this world, the world then will see that even in the wilderness, there is protection and relief. And there is rain. The rain of Christ Jesus. And to God be all the glory. Amen.